30. So right now we're in the, the, the section where Paul is defending Israel's existence. I guess we'll just put it right there. I guess we got it good. Anybody need one? Good. Another one? So Paul is defending Israel's existence, basically, right? That God, asking the question, did God reject Israel? Since we, you know, just to give a, a, a little background again, chapters 1 through 8 are all about God giving you mercies and giving you blessings and giving you so many things. He loves you so much. He calls you. He sanctifies you. He justifies you. He will glorify you. All these blessings he's giving to you. And so... Uh, uh, natural question will be would be well he said all those things to the jews the jews rejected him so now what what about the jews and if you've given them all these promises and covenants and blessings and and can you be trusted basically since you've given them all these blessings and and things and they've rejected the messiah what about them and so paul splits up the book of romans into three sections the first section is giving you all the blessings talking about how you are receiving all the blessings and and mercies and graces that he has given you and then 12 through 16 are going to be applying that knowing that you know those things and have those things in your possession now what do you do well in between that is chapter 9 10 and 11 which is answering the question of what about israel right and so he's kind of explaining why they rejected him right the, the jews and then it was always a part of his plan. It was always part of his will that they would reject him because it brings in special blessings to the Gentiles, right? He, he forecasted that, <clears throat> that the chief cornerstone, good morning, Patty, um, would be a stumbling block, right? A stumbling of the Jews because the Jews' way of salvation that they had been thinking and, and training and teaching <clears throat> was by following the works of the law, the Mosaic law, right? And so they were ignorant of a couple things. They were ignorant of the way of salvation, right? You don't get, you don't achieve God's righteousness in your life by following the law or the works of the law. The works of the law or the works will come as a result of faith, right? Faith in him. So they were ignorant of the way of salvation. And then as a result, they were also ignorant of the application of salvation to the world, right? Remember, we went over the Old Testament scriptures where he says, you're going to be my light, right, to the nation. You're supposed to be a kingdom of priests to the world. Oh, part of their calling, Israel's calling, was to receive God's word and then go out and send it to the Gentiles or to send to people, right? So they were ignorant of that application of salvation. And as a result of that application or of that responsibility, they failed to go preach the gospel, right? And so that was in verses 14 through 21 of chapter 10. Um, and remember, we talked about how since faith is the way of salvation, but faith comes from hearing, right? Hearing comes from somebody preaching. Preaching comes from somebody being sent, right? So there's not going to be faith if you don't have somebody preaching, you don't have somebody being sent, and you don't have somebody hearing the message, right? So they failed in that application of preaching the gospel to the world, right? They heard the gospel. They themselves heard the gospel, but they rejected it because they were basically trained by their own leaders 
to receive salvation by following the law, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees and these and the Sanhedrin that made up the leadership of Israel, they were teaching that you had to be like us, basically, following the law, right? And so they would say that. So remember we talked about the Sermon on the Mount was Christ's rejection of that way of salvation. He says, so, you know, you've heard this and you were taught this, but I tell you it's this and I tell you it's that, right? And And even if you you know, call a person a fool, it's like committing murder. That's what the law is demanding of you, is that just your thoughts incriminate you. Your thoughts are what break the law within you. Therefore, there's no way you can achieve righteousness by following the law. It's impossible. Why? Because you inherited sin, the sin nature from Adam, and also as a result of having that sin nature, you sin as a result of it, regularly, right? These transgressions that you do regularly. So you've inherited it and you sin regularly. So there's no chance of you even being able to hold, uphold the law to achieve righteousness. So he had to come to his people and say, the only way of salvation isn't new. It's not just by faith. It's always been by faith, right? We talked about, and, and he talked about, about Abraham. It was always by faith. It was a, righteousness was attributed to Abraham because of faith, right? So Israel was not ignorant of their charge they just rejected their charge and so they they were ignorant of the way of salvation they were ignorant of the application of salvation and they were ignorant of their preaching of the gospel to the nations so the old and then paul talks about how the old testament foretold them through their prophets that the gentiles would receive the messiah right the gentiles would receive the messiah and so even though they've rejected and, didn't, and failed in their parts, the Jews, God's attitude towards his people has always been one of love, right? He says, my hands are open out to you. They've always been one. So even though you've been a stubborn and hard-hearted people, my hands have always been open to you. Um, and so, but Paul says all is not lost, right? Because <clears throat> the, the rejection of the Messiah is not total, right? Has he rejected his people? Has he rejected his people? And he and Paul says, right, the strong term that he always uses, by no means, God forbid, may it never be, right? Don't even think that thought. God has not rejected his people. And, and then so Paul gives some examples. And his first example was himself. He says, I'm a Jew and I'm saved, right? I received salvation by faith. So that's one evidence that God is not finished with Jews because I'm a Jew and I'm saved, right? And then he... he the casting off of his people, he foreknew that, right? The rejecting of his people, of his Messiah. God told his prophets that they would do that, right? And Paul's then, Paul's continues to go on and say that even though it seems like uh, the, the mass majority of Israel has rejected the Messiah, there's a remnant. And not only is there a remnant now, there's always been a remnant, right? And he uses Elijah as an example of how Elijah felt like he was the only one saved after doing all these wonderful things, miraculous things. And so God has come and talked to him and says, no, there's 7,000 believers still in me. Even though it seems like the whole nation has rejected me and following after Baal, there's 7,000 who believe in this country, right, or in the nation of Israel. And so Paul is using that same thing. What was true of Elijah is true now. God works to, through Israel through the remnant, right? And the fact that there's a remnant is proof that God has not rejected his people. Yeah, are we following that? Because um, God saves Jews and Gentiles by faith, right? Through faith, right? By, by grace, through faith. 
So then he talks about how in Paul, well, that's actually right where we're at. We're in verse 7 of chapter 11. Yeah? So chapter 11, verse 7. So <clears throat> Paul, as a result of that scenario, he draws a logical conclusion. So if someone were in verse 7, that's chapter 11, verse 7 of Romans. What then? That which Israel is seeking for is not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. All right. So while Israel the whole, remember we talked about we have of Israel and all Israel, right? So Israel the whole tried to get righteousness by works. And the problem is they thought they had it. Right? They thought they were righteous. They thought they were good. When they crucified Christ, they thought they were doing God a good deed. They were doing something well, right? They, and that's in Isaiah 53, right? So they tried to get righteous by works, but they couldn't obtain it because it's impossible, right? Because <clears throat> they thought they sought it on the basis of the law and didn't get it. However, the elect obtained righteousness, right? By faith, the way that it has always been and the way that it is now, is that by faith you attain God's righteousness in your life. Um, but the rest of them were hardened, right? Um, so it's between, Paul is talking about the Jews in Israel. Within Jews are two groups. Those who believe, which is a remnant, and those who don't believe, it's, which is the majority, but those who don't believe were hardened, right? Because um, they failed to to go to God on his terms, right? And their stubbornness and hardness produced more hardness within them, right? Um, okay, so it is the remnant, the Jewish believers, that Paul is saying those are the Israel of God, right? Because Paul talked about that back in chapter 2, verse 29 of Romans. He says, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So Paul is saying that a Jew is one who's circumcised of the heart, circumcision of the heart. While you might still have external circumcision, a, a one by faith is circumcised of the heart, right? And in fact, Peter makes the same point in his book. So in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10, he writes of a similar scenario. And so 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10, I'll, re I'll read it. It says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Remember, Peter is talking to Jews, right? Peter is a Jew, but he's writing to Jews. Paul is generally a Jew writing to Gentiles. Peter is writing to fellow Jews, many of them out of the diaspora, out of, out of Israel. So like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, it's the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And he says, but you are a chosen race. And this is 
Peter talking to Jews who are now part of the church, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay, so that's Peter's description of the scenario of the Jews, right? The, the Jews that believe that they were, that they, whoever believes in him would not be put to shame, but those who reject Christ, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Christ is the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense for them. Okay, so in verses 8 through 10, back in Romans 11, verses 8 through 10, Paul continues to use more Old Testament passages to contrast the present hardening of Israel with the, the believing remnant, right? So within, within Israel is the hardened ones and the remnant ones, right? So if someone would read verse 8. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. Okay, so the stupor that Paul is talking about is coming from Isaiah 29.10. So Paul is using Old Testament passages to prove to the people that God, this is not a new thing, that God has been, was forecasting or prophesying that there would be a stupor, right? That there would be a hardening, that there would be a rejection. So Isaiah 29.10 says, For Jehovah has poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and your heads, the seers, has he covered. And then the second part of that verse that Paul just uh, wrote about comes from Deuteronomy 29.4. It says that Jehovah has not given you a heart to know and eyes to see and ears to hear unto this day. Right, so Paul is talking about their, the non-remnant, the unbelieving Jews' current position, right? Um, that they're hardened. He, he was forecasting that that would happen. Remember, they were thinking they were doing everything great, right? They were thinking that everything was copacetic and that by following the works of the law, they'd be in good favor with the Lord. But Paul is reminding them, no, you're not, because you weren't doing it on his terms, you're doing it on your own terms, right? So he's, Paul is applying that to the current state of Israel to, again, defend that God has not failed Israel. It was Israel who rejected him, but he has not forgotten them. Right? He's still faithful to them. Okay, so verses 9 and 10 are also um, a quotation from the Old Testament. Chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. So if someone would read 9 and 10. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and then their backs grow. Okay, so here's Paul quoting from Psalm 69, 22 and 23. So Paul is, again, making that case about the, the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel themselves, of what they've chosen to do. So Psalm 69, 22 and 23 says, Let their table before them become a snare, and when they are in peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see, and make their loins continually to shake. So <clears throat> Paul is applying these verses to the non-remnant, the unbelieving Jews. So even though Israel, the whole, is hardened, 
Israel, the remnant, is in belief. They are in belief, right? And they are elect. So the main point of verses 1 through 10, like I said, is that basically Israel as a nation failed to attain righteousness of God because they wanted to do it by works, right? So they reject, they were sort of primed to reject the Messiah by their leaders, right? They were thinking, and that was, that was the whole scenario. When he came there, the people were like, I don't quite understand. Could this be the one that they were teaching us about? Yet he's doing all these other things and saying all these other things that are contrary to what we've been taught too. So they were confused. The people were confused about him, so they went to their leaders. The leaders didn't like what he was teaching, so the leaders said, oh, we got to figure out a way to, you know, dismiss him. And so what, what did they say? Does anybody remember what they said about him? Possessed. Right, he, he's not... He's not yeah. from God, he's from Satan, yeah. right? He was, he was, was demon-possessed. He was doing all these miracles and doing all these things on the basis of being demon-possessed, right? Okay, so um, Paul is saying that even though Israel as a whole is hardened and it was forecasted and prophesied that they would, um, it's not total. Their rejection is not total nor complete because there are still Jewish people who believe. And even today, there are Jewish people who believe, right? We call them Messianic Jews, those who believe in Christ, right? So they've attained the righteousness of God and they make up that remnant according to the election of grace. Okay, so this current situation of them being in a hardened state um, show that the rejection is not total because there's a part within the Israel that is saved. The next section is going to be that it's not only not total, it's not final. It's temporary, right? Their, their, their state of unbelief and their state of hardenedness is not total, nor is it final. It will come to an end. It, has a begin, it had a beginning and, a end, and will have an end. So that's what the next section will be talking about. Um, and so that's two. So we're at two a Israel's rejection of Messiah is not final. And then the purpose of Israel stumbling, and this is a key point for us as Gentiles to understand. Okay, so like, kind of like his style has been so far, he generally asks a question, and then he gives the answer. Right. So he says in eleven a, if someone would read eleven a. I say that they did not stumble, so was the fall, did they? Right. Did they stumble in order that they might fall? So he's again talking about they, the, the ones who stumbled, meaning those who are not the remnant, those who rejected the Messiah, who did not believe. So then he gives the answer. What's the answer? 11b? By no means, right? <laughs> May never be, God forbid. No way, Jose. Don't even think about it, right? Don't even, right? So, so. Did they stumble in order that they might fall, meaning forever, total, complete, never? He says, by no means, don't even think about that, right? So because of their fall, what's happened, what's happened to us? We, get a chance. We, have an, we have a chance, right? Gentiles can come to salvation, right? And one of the reasons that God chose the Gentiles to come to salvation is to do what to the Jews? Does anybody remember that? Provoke them to jealousy, right? Provoke them to jealousy. So, taking a, even, a step back even, in light of God's faithfulness, right? God's character, God's attribute, 
wouldn't it be foolish to think that he gave up on Israel, right? Giving them all their blessings, all the covenants, all the things. Wouldn't it be foolish to think that God just says, oh, I'm done, right? Because that would be contrary to his own character, his own attributes, right? Because he's faithful. If he said, no, I'm not going to do it because you're rebellious, hardened people, then he wouldn't be faithful to his own word, right? Um, it's foolish to think that God has rejected all of Israel. Even though all of Israel, meaning the whole, is rejecting him right now, it's only temporary and it's not total, right? Um, Right, but even as a global level, there's billions, right? Billions of people who rejected him, and there's always a small remnant. That's that's God's sovereignty, God's election of grace, and that's a hard thing to grasp. I I agree in the sense of why 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 am I chosen and such and such is not chosen, or why you know it's a hard thing to grasp. I agree with you. I mean, it's even harder now, like in this light of like October seventh and all these people that died so brutally. And the only hope that their families have and stuff is, well, they're they're with God now. But yeah, they know they're not. Yeah, I mean, they have such a horrible, brutal death, and then end up in hell too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the question is all, you know, the, and that outside it says, how does a good God let bad things happen like that, right? How, what about those people, right? And how do how do we answer that, or what's 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 our answer? <laughs> I heard a guy talking on it. I wish I could find it. It's when the ter- it's when the tower fell, and somebody uh, help me. Jesus preaching. He says, "Did you think those?" That the tower fell on were more guilty, and those that whose blood was mixed. Yeah, the, yeah. and he said, Jesus said, "You think you're better than them? You're sinners too." Yeah. Basically, he said to that question, "You're all sinners, and you need salvation. You need to repent." Right. And so that, it was, yeah, a lot of bad things happened. Jesus said, "Well, you know, it should be happening to everybody. You're all sinners." <laughs> well, that's exactly right. God, God is just. Right? God is yeah. also love. God is also just. You can't have love without justice, yeah. right? Just love just doesn't want, you know, turn a blind eye to sin. Sin is is death. The wages of sin is death, right? And so 
God, God in his sovereignty and his divine providence says that, okay, you reject me, you, you live, right? And you're going to live in the consequences of your own sin. And the consequences of our own sin is separation from him. Separation from him causes us to do terrible, bad things forever, right? And so why does a good God allow bad things to happen? Because he is not creating robots, right? It's always by faith that we receive righteousness. Faith that, that and I say that because what if God came down and said, you know, as a referee blew the whistle and said, no, that's a foul. No, that's a foul. That's a foul. You would be obligated to respond to him positively in a sense, right? You'd be obligated to say, oh, he is here. He is there. Therefore, I must obey, right? But that's not faith. That's, that's obligated, you know, um, robot in a sense, in the sense that you're not able to, by faith, please God. You're not, you're not able to uh, come to him on his terms. You're just obeying for fear of your life, not, not receiving salvation for the benefit of life, right? So that, I mean, I, 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 I struggle to answer that because I don't have the exact answers either. It's like, why does a good God allow bad things to happen? Because the only thing I can say is that God is perfectly just. And you can't be loving without having justice. And you can't be holy without having consequence for sin. And the consequences of sin, like we read in Romans 1 and 2, is that he gives them over to their reprobate mind. And your reprobate mind creates in you and in others around you this mob mentality. And you do unnatural things. And you harm one another. And slander and envy and strife. And all these things just come brewing out you. Because that's the law that works in you, right? Remember, your own law is what's is what is um, charging you or accusing you of sin and you just sin more and you just sin more so all it is is exposing what's wretched inside of you deserving of justice deserving of judgment every single one of us are deserving of judgment and this justice of god but by faith we believe in his provision for us that christ paid the price right it wasn't just Oh, you know, you're okay. No, you have to have faith that the work was done for you. That work was done, but it was done on your behalf because you couldn't do it, right? You fell short. You fall short of the glory of God. He does not fall short of the glory of God. And by propitiation or by that exchange, he took upon your unrighteousness, you took upon his righteousness. That's the faith that you have. And so, and then what happens as a result? That envy, that strife, that anger, that frustration, all those things start to we're no longer slaves to them right we're no longer have to live according to them we might choose to but we're not obligated to be a bond slave right to be a slave to sin we are now a slave to righteousness and we talked about all those things that christ when you when christ died you died when christ rose again you rose again right he's he's done all the work in you so you're no longer a part of that reprobate world or reprobate mind you now have the fruits of the spirit in you able to not sin and do good works that please god right but all that is a result of being saved all that is a result of being sanctified on a day-by-day -day basis right okay <laughs> all right okay so <clears throat> By no means is that uh, they stumbled in order that they might fall, meaning permanently. Um, so, 
Paul is using Isaiah 49.6b here to show God's plan for Israel stumbling. Even though they stumbled, God's plan was them, for them to stumble. But he says in Isaiah 49.6, I will also give you for a light to the Gentiles that you may be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Is that actually um, 11b? That's 11b, right? No, 11b is... Okay, that's that's twelve or okay, okay. Um, okay, so God planned for Israel to stumble for the purpose of Gentile salvation. That's the per that's what Paul is saying, that God purposed or planned or foreknew that Israel would stumble for the purpose of Gentile salvation, because Gentile salvation was to provoke the Jews to jealousy to go back to God. Right? God is saving Gentiles today to provoke Jews to jealousy. The more Gentiles get saved, the more they provoke Jews to jealousy so that they would get saved. Does that make sense? The Gentiles' purpose is to provoke Jews to salvation. So more Gentiles get saved, right? And this actually magnifies Paul's ministry, which he's going to talk about, that he, he now understands that concept. That's why he says, I'm going to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles because the Gentiles are now going to provoke my people back to God. Yeah? Okay, so, so in the next few verses, 12 through 15, he's going to explain more about that statement that um, God promised to provoke Israel to jealousy by saving those who are no nation. Right? Remember that we talked in Deuteronomy 32 that he's going to call out a people that have no nation, people that were not a people, but now they're part of the church, right? which comes from all nations. Um, so salvation went out to the Gentiles because of Jewish stumbling, but the purpose of Gentile salvation is to provoke Jewish salvation, right? Does that make sense? Provoke Jews to salvation, to jealousy. It's not the only purpose, right? But it's the one that Paul is dealing with in these verses, is to provoke them to, to uh, jealousy to come to salvation. Okay, so read verse 12 again. Okay, so this, now Paul is saying that small remnant allowed, that small remnant and the rejection of Israel as a whole has brought blessings to you, the Gentiles, right? How, and that was their, that was their uh, result of stumbling. How much more will they, when they would come back in, will that be a blessing to you even more, right? So right now it's just a small remnant of people, of Jews, and that small remnant has brought spiritual blessing to the Gentiles, how much more when the whole comes in, right? How much more will their full inclusion mean? Because in the future, Israel as a whole, not just a remnant, will be saved. The national salvation will be their restoration, right? Meaning that that's, that's what they've been looking forward to. And that will bring even greater blessings to the Gentiles than Israel stumbling did, right? Are we following that train of thought there? Um, so, as a result of that understanding, he explains his purpose and his evangelism to the Gentiles. Read, read verse 13. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. 
Okay, so now he's, now he's going to his audience, right? The, the believers in Rome. And he's saying, and as much that I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry because now I, I understand that my ministry of evangelizing Gentiles provokes Jews to jealousy to come to him. Looking forward to that future whole Israel being saved or being restored, right? He, he was called by Christ personally. He was appointed and taught by Christ personally to be the apostle to the Gentiles, right? And part of that reason is verse 14. So read verse 14. In order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Right, so the more Gentiles that Paul led to Christ, the more Jews that would be provoked to jealousy and come to saving faith, right? So that's an interesting scenario, right? Israel's unbelief was to promote Gentile salvation, right? Which in turn would promote Jewish salvation. Do we understand how that God is working through that, right? Because over the course of church history, from, from that time, from Acts 2 up until now even, the majority of Jewish believers are led to Christ by Gentiles, Right? It was initially their charge was that they were the ones to go and spread to the Gentiles. Right, But now in church history, we see the Gentiles are leading the Jews back to their Messiah. Right, Their Messiah. Um, and it's also true that, that the Gentile church has also provoked the Jews to wrath also. Right? And, and some false doctrine, we talked about that in, in this replacement theology idea that uh, Christianity has also provoked trouble to Jews as well, right? Not just to jealousy, to salvation, but to wrath, right? But again, that because of that fact, that doesn't change God's plan of salvation for Gentile salvation and God's plan for Jewish salvation. Um, so eventually, Israel's fall as a whole will lead back to Israel's national restoration, national salvation. Yeah? Okay, so verse 15, he's going to end this section by spelling out the future results for Israel and the Gentiles. So read verse 15, if you would. For if the rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Okay, so... Again, the rejection of Israel resulted in Jewish salvation, I'm sorry, in Gentile salvation, and the acceptance of Israel will, will mean life from the dead, right? In the sense that by the fall of the Jews, the world received the gospel. When Israel as a whole will be saved, the world will be blessed even more. When does that take place? When does the Gentile world receive greater blessing than they have now when the Jews are saved? When does that take place? The millennial kingdom, right? And so many passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament talk about the fulfillment of blessings to the world, right, through national Israel, right, through Israel. When Christ comes back to rule as king, he will rule from Jerusalem, right, to the whole world. And the Gentile world will receive even greater blessings from a perfect king, the God king, on his throne in Israel. Right? So Israel will then give more blessing to the whole world around. Are we following that? Okay. 
Okay, because that's when in that millennial reign, well, the blessings that God has been faithful to the Jews will, will come to fruition, will come to, to action, is in the Messianic kingdom. And part of that blessing, according to this verse, is life from the dead, right? Resurrection. And so we talk that when the rapture comes before the millennial king starts, we receive life from the dead, a resurrection, right? So what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Okay, so... Okay, so we went over that. Um, okay, so there's a false teaching that he wants to rebuke again. And it's the purpose of Israel stumbling. And it's Gentiles boasting over the fall of Israel because there will be a final Jewish restoration in the sense that Gentiles might say, well, you know, forget you. There's no hope. There's no nothing. You rejected him, so none of that. So he's going to rebuke um, a false teaching in verses 16 through 24. Um, so someone read verse 16. Okay, so we have a couple terms here. First fruits, right? Whole lump and the root and branches, right? So the first fruits and the root, uh, they refer to the patriarchs and the Abrahamic covenant, right? So Paul is using an illustration of a tree, right? So the Abrahamic covenant is where the blessings come from, right? Abrahamic covenant is land, seed, worldwide blessing, right? And so those, that's, the, that's the basis of where God blesses the world is from that covenant he made with Abraham. So they, they the, the first fruits, the root, the, the whole lump and the branches are holy because they were separated and set apart by God for a divine purpose. So Israel as a nation is uh, referred to as the lump and the branches. Um, and this is based upon Numbers 15, 17 through 21. And it talks about that, um, the, the Israel being the, the lump and then the branches. Okay, so now Paul's going to develop that illustration of, of what this tree is, right? And this lump and the root and the Abrahamic covenant and all these things. And so and to develop this principle, to help us understand, he uses an illustration of the tree. It's a metaphor of an olive tree and its different parts, right? So read verse 17, if you would. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Okay, so who's he, when he says, and you, who's he talking to? Right, he, he shifted from you, the Gentiles, beating the passages before, to now saying you, a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now shared in this nourishing root of the olive tree. So a numbers, numbers talks about that, that um, principle that of the root of the, 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 being the Abrahamic covenant, the, the, the branches and the lump are the nation of Israel. And so he's going to go back to that to teach this principle to the Gentiles, that same idea, right? So the olive tree in and of itself, the tree in and of itself is healthy and good. Why? Because God planted it. God cultivated it. God nourishes that tree, which is his plan, which is his will, which is that covenant that he made with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. 
However, some of its natural branches, who are the branches? Israel, right? Were what? They were broken off, right? And then what happens? Wild olive branches were, broke, were grafted in. Who's the wild olive branches? The, gen the Gentiles, right? So the olive tree represents neither Israel nor the church, but the place of spiritual blessings. God says, I'm going to bless the world, land, seed, worldwide blessing with the Abrahamic covenant. So the tree itself is the covenant that God made to Abraham for the world. The branches are, the native branches are Israel, right, which were broken off. The grafted branches are the Gentiles that come in, right? And the root is, like I said, is the Abrahamic covenant. So by faith in Christ, Gentile believers have been grafted in. They become partakers of the Abrahamic covenant, right, of this tree and the Jewish spiritual blessings. So they're partaking of its life-giving benefits because we're unnaturally grafted in. It is an interesting thing because you don't take wild branches and graft them into a, a cultivated tree. That would not work, right? But Paul specifically uses that metaphor to describe how that's not natural. The natural thing would have been the tree and its roots, roots that was cultivated would stay that way, right? But as a result of breaking off of the branches, wild olive tree uh, branches have come, have come in there. Um, I'm going to just read Ephesians 2, 11 through 16, and 3, 5, and 6 to end this, because this same point is made by Paul in, in those passages. Ephesians 2 and then Ephesians 3. It's the point that Gentiles have been granted into the place of blessing and are partaking of its life-giving benefits. So, Again, Paul makes that same point in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3. So I'm going to read Ephesians 2, 11 through 16, and then 3, 5, and 6, and then we'll, we'll end there. Good? Okay, Ephesians 2, 11 through 16. It says, and, and again, have in your mind this idea of this tree, right, and, and being unnaturally part of Jewish blessings. So he says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world that's what we need to remember right remember that Paul's saying remember where you were right aliens to God and then 13 but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And he did that by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So remember the hostility was, you had a Gentile would have to become a Jew, right? And there was animosity between Jews and everybody else basically, because they had this premise that they ignored. The premise was that they were to, they received all God's revelation. They were to go and be priests to the nation they rejected or they neglected to do those parts and were ignorant of their responsibility. But now by Christ in his blood, we've been reconciled back together, getting rid or abolishing that hostility. 
Okay, so then in Ephesians 3, 5 and 6, it says, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Okay, so that's that same sort of teaching that Paul is giving the illustration of the, the olive tree. He's now reminding them of what they, Gentiles, of what they've got. He's, he's teaching the Ephesians what they were and what they have now. Do we see that connection there? Okay, we better end because it's late. Okay, so let's, any thoughts or questions? Kind of went through a whole... The fact that the Gentiles don't support the root, but the Jews, the root, support them. Yeah. And how crazy it is, there are pastors that want to do New Testament only. We don't need the Old Testament. It's like insane. Yeah, it is. Well, yeah. How, how is it then that they just skip over these Old Testament uh, verses? Yeah. Because the, the apostles are constantly referring back to the Old Testament. Right. So what do you do with that? I don't know. I've never been in one of those churches. You raise your hand in the middle of the service and say, you skipped... 9, 10, 11. What happened? Okay, let me pray. Father God, we bow our hearts before you, Lord, just in gratitude and thankfulness that you have given us mercy, you've given us grace, Lord, that you have paid the sin, paid the, the penalty for our sins, that you're, the wages that we earned, you paid for, right, which is death. And we're thankful that we have been, we were buried and that we were rose again in you, Lord. We, we pray that the church service be pleasing to you as a body. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.